Good morning, family. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord. Just want to welcome you this morning to Baptism Sunday. It is such, such, such an amazing, amazing time. And uh, as we go through the message this morning, I hope to further clarify why it is such an important and such a blessed occasion to, to stand here talking to those either unbaptized, those who want to be baptized, or those who have been baptized. Um, so this morning, just want to greet you firstly in the name of Jesus. It's always a privilege to stand before you and speak God's word, knowing the weight that is on this pulpit, and knowing that I will be accountable to God one day for speaking his word, so don't take it lightly, and I thank the leadership of the house for always giving me an opportunity to share God's word. So baptism is more of a topical issue when, when trying to speak to the congregation when preaching. Um, we had gone through the masterclass expository teaching where we can unpack scripture and baptism kind of falls either in that or falls sort of in the periphery when it comes to uh, preparing for a message because it, it tackles a specific topic. It is more topical in nature to address somebody on baptism. So what I would like us to do here is I want, I don't have much time, I would like to be about 30 minutes and then release the candidates to uh, go into the waters while there's still maybe a bit of sun outside. So um, when preparing for this message, you know, um, hoping that everybody would show up because those who have been baptized might not show up and those who don't want to be baptized won't show up as well. So I'm glad to see the church is so full this morning <laughs> and it's such a blessing to see your beautiful faces. So um, firstly, looking at what baptism is not. Um, I think we take it for granted being in church every week that we're all familiar with the concept of baptism. We know it involves a pool, it involves water, it involves going into the water, but publicly, and one of the reasons I believe this has to be looked at doctrinally and also looked at from the scripture is because I believe that this is the first point of obedience in a Christian's life and, and the enemy has attacked this doctrine so dearly. If he can get you when you're a baby, if he can get you in the beginning, he can get you for the rest of your walk. So you find many different doctrines or understandings of baptism and it can be damnable, it can affect your walk. So when we look at baptism, we find many different um, theologies or we find different, um, different types of churches um, speaking differently about baptism. We find infant baptism. Um, we find various different forms of baptism in different denominations. And we have to understand that Ephesians 4 says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have one baptism, one form of baptism, not many. Um, many different denominations sometimes would even just put a little drop on your head, sign of the cross, whatever it may be. And this is not me knocking denominations. I don't think it is beneficial to us because we believe in one God and one Lord and one faith and one baptism. But I have to speak from what the Bible says. And the Bible is very clear on what baptism is. So what is baptism? We'll go into but what baptism is not. Let us have a look at that very quickly. So firstly, baptism is not designed to make you more holy. You don't get more saved after you get baptized. You don't become more holy, more righteous, more saved, more no, baptism is not. It does not add on top of salvation. Secondly, baptism is not salvation. Baptism is not designed to save you. You do not get saved. I've seen um, 
in, in media, you find that uh, when people get baptized, their lives are changed, but there's no repentance and no salvation attached to it. And we have to understand that these two are mutually exclusive, but also parts of the same package. That is, when you read in the book of Acts, you'll find this in fulfillment, where it says, repent and be baptized. You find salvation and you find baptism in the same breath, in the same day, in the same moment. And this is sadly not practiced today. Um, so it is not salvation. There's no saving virtue in H2O. Water cannot do anything for you. Otherwise, you're just taking a swim. So there's no saving virtue in water besides the symbolism that it carries. And um, so it is basically an immediate public testimony of true conversion. Um, Jesus says that in Matthew 10, 32, he says, whoever confesses me before men openly, publicly, I will confess him before my father. So he's saying that if you confess me publicly, I will confess you before my Father. So this is the, the premise that baptism is not, and what baptism is. It's an abandoning of the old life and embracing a new life in Christ. As simple as I can put it, the Bible is very deep and very detailed when it comes to what baptism is. But in its purest sense, this is what baptism is. It's abandoning your old life, and it's embracing a life in Christ. So when we look today, there exists today a paradox of baptized non-Christians and unbaptized Christians, speaking of sprinkling, speaking of dipping, and speaking of all of these different forms of baptism, which is not submersion. There's a world today of Christians who have been baptized by sprinkling. There's a large group of Christians today in church who have not been baptized. And because of pragmatism, now what, what is pragmatism? Pragmatism as a dictionary defines this, it's a way of dealing with problems or situations that focuses on practical approaches to solutions, ones that will work in practice as opposed to being ideal in theory. So the church, and is very guilty of this, is adopting an attitude of pragmatism, so doing something to please the crowd, wanting to entertain people, make them feel good, and neglecting the truth of what scripture teaches. Scripture is very clear on baptism. God is very clear on baptism. It is not just something that we feel is a nice to have as part of an addition to our Christianity, but this is fundamental and it is an ordinance given by God. There are two ordinances in the New Testament. One is baptism and the second is the table of the Lord. Yeah. These two are non-negotiable. Um, when, we, when God speaks to us about baptism, baptism is foundational to our belief, but it does not save us. So we need to understand what place that is have in our salvation. So when looking for books, I was looking to read books on baptism. And to the writing of books, there is no end. We can go to the libraries and we can find thousands, millions, hundreds of millions of different books. To the writing of Christian books, there is no end. You can go and look at your favorite author and find a hundred just from one author. So the writing of Christian books about the Christian life, there is no end. Yeah. But look as I may, trying to find a one chapter on baptism, I struggled. There's a, so there's no great movement in the church today to elevate baptism towards its priority as scripture, um, scripture dictates and that baptism deserves. Baptism deserves so much more focus and us as a church, we are guilty of not elevating it to its proper place in, in the and the theology of, of God. So, so we find that more and more people find the attachment to Christ mediated by media. We find the Christian radio, we find CDs, we find uh, podcasts, we find that it's mediated by media and we migrate from one Christian event to the next. We go from concerts to, to services to services and we find that our, 
our relation to Christ is mediated by everything else besides what Scripture teaches us. Scripture gives us clear commands on how we are to obey God, clear commands. In the New Testament, they are called imperatives. You'll find them in the, in the letters where it says, do this, don't do this. But Scripture is very clear, and especially when it comes from Christ himself. When he said, go therefore into the world, baptizing, baptizing. So, so we have the greatest number of Christians, I believe, today, probably in history, that haven't been baptized. So they exist today and I'm unbaptized church. May I even be as bold as to say that the failure to take baptism seriously may as well be at the roots of some of the immense problems that exist in the church today. Without making an issue out of baptism or elevating it to the level that it should be placed at, the church may accumulate people who don't want to make a public confession of Christ at all. So... The early church we find in the book of Acts, the first church that was established, early obedient church, there was a demand that was laid on the people. A demand was laid on them. So if you put your trust in Christ in the book of Acts, you had to immediately identify with him in baptism. Now, why is this so important? Did they just want to take a swim, wash off all the dust? Or what is the purpose of this? Why did God institute baptism immediately after salvation? Now, we do this thing a little differently if I would have things my way, I would have a baptism pool in every single church. Because yeah. the moment we have an altar call, there has to be a public confession, a public display of sacrifice. And this is what was laid on the early church. And remember, it was detrimental to your well-being if you identified with Christ in the book of Acts. So this was detrimental to their health police. Yeah. would be outside waiting for you. I identify with Christ. I identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. I am crucified with him. And I, want to be, and I want to be identified with them in the baptism waters. And this is what the early church done because they could have been killed for this. But yet we have so many of us today who have made a confession of faith in Christ but have not been baptized. It is a direct command from God and this is what I want us to look at. Why is it that important? What is the purpose of this whole thing? Is it something nice to do just to, to tick the box to say that Christianity, I've, I've, I've met five out of ten, I'm on my way there. Or is it something that is commanded Baptism is a public profession of leaving your sins behind and embracing the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So it's the first, excuse me, first step after, after your, your salvation confession. Yeah. So uh, I want us to look at some, some points here. So Matthew 28, verse 19, reads as follows. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. This is the church's commission when it comes to baptism. This is what the church has been commanded to do, to baptize them. Then in Acts 2.38, it says, repent and be baptized. This is the command to each and every one of us. We are all commanded. It's not a suggestion. Maybe if you're not busy, please. No, this is a commandment for us. Repent, salvation, and be baptized. And then we have on the day of Pentecost, we have 3,000 who are saved and baptized. And this sets the example for us. So this gives us the framework of baptism in the New Testament. So the Lord called us to this means of public identification with Christ. It is public identification with Jesus Christ that there's no denial that you are a Christian. And coming into the last days, this is something that we will be challenged with when, when you might lose your job for being identified with Christ because it's becoming ever increasingly difficult to become Christian in the workplace. You guys see the workplace, what it's like. The, the LGBT, LMNOPEA sports community will, will crucify you for, just, for, for speaking against them or speaking what the word of God says. I didn't say it's God said that this is wrong, that sin is sin. 
and you will, you will lose your job or you lose your life potentially. So to identify with Christ, it's becoming increasingly more like the days of Acts. But let us look at what is baptism. It is basically a service in which a person is immersed into water. So there are three, there, there are two verbs and one noun I'd like to look at. So how the Bible describes it. When it talks about baptism, it is, a, it is the first verb. So a verb is a doing word. Me and my wife are having this debate about English last night. What is a verb? What is a noun? I forgot. But um, the verb is a doing word and it's mentioned four times in the New Testament. It is the verb bapto, B-A-P-T-O. It basically means to immerse or to dip into. And the context that they would use it for is to dip clothing into, the, the, into a bucket of, of dye so that the water would fully submerge the clothing and it will dye the clothing. And then you find an intensified form of this verb of bapto, which is baptizo. And that means to dip completely. It is complete submersion underwater. And then you find the noun, uh, which is always used in the book of Acts. But that is a noun, is personhood. Um, thank you, wife. It is a person confessing Christ being immersed into water. So the noun is the person. So when it speaks of baptisma, which is the noun, that is the person being baptized. So what I'm trying to say is, is that churches may have deviated from this theology where we sprinkle, we throw a little bit of water, we do whatever we have, but the Bible is very intentional and very clear when it talks to baptism. Baptism means to fully submerge somebody underwater. So baptism, the word baptizo was tr is transliterated. There is no word baptism. If they would have just used the direct translation into English, it would have been, and they fully submerged everyone and they were rose from the water. But they use the word baptism, which is where the confusion comes in. Even John Calvin, uh, the father of Calvinism, who was a baby baptizer, also said that uh, the word baptize means to immerse. When we read Matthew 3.16, it says, Jesus came up immediately out of the water. Jesus was submerged. Now, there are literal baptisms, which is going under the water, which we'll witness today, and there are figurative baptisms. Figurative baptisms we can find, and I call them the dry baptism, we find in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Uh, you can write the scriptures down and go read them, but uh, just for the sake of time, I'll read them for you. It says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. It's talking about immersion, being buried, submerged into Christ. So this is where now the New Testament is, is quite clear after the book of Acts. It's talking about baptism, dry baptism. There's no water here involved, right? There's no, you don't see immediately they came out of the water and they were dipped and all of this type of thing. But you see, this is the dry baptism scriptures where it says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, no actual water. And this is now the figurative application of baptism where each and every one of us who have been baptized or about to be baptized, or I trust that you brought a spare pair of shorts if you are on the fence, that you will be baptized, that we are being baptized into Christ. This is the figurative application of baptism. Now we find in uh, Matthew chapter 3, and that's our, our core scriptures that I would like to look at, but Matthew chapter 3 talks about two baptisms. This is now where John the Baptist is on the scene. John the Baptist, now it's, the Bible says all of Judea actually came to him to get baptized into the, uh, into the baptism, of, baptism of repentance. So the first baptism we see in scripture is in Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. Now John the Baptist was in Old Testament, even though he was in the New Testament, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. So when you have to understand that the timeline doesn't start Matthew 1, the timeline kind of starts where Jesus institutes the New Testament at the Lord's table, but John the Baptist was the first of the last uh, was the last of the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist comes on the scene 
living in the wilderness, eating locusts and doing all of this stuff. And he comes preaching a baptism of repentance. And he says, repent, for there's a kingdom coming. There's one who's coming with sandals I'm not, wor I'm not worthy to, to strap. And he's preaching a baptism of repentance. But, um, and then you find also in, in the past, same passage of scripture, uh, Jesus is also talking about a baptism of fire. And that is a baptism of submersion into fire, into judgments. And this is the baptism of the second death. So you see this, 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 this principle of being submerged, of fully being submerged into something. So when God talks in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, God is very fond of using things that we understand to, to, to portray spiritual realities. So when he talks about um, the, the wise man building his house upon the rock, we understand there is no actual rock, but the rock is Christ. When he uses these examples in, in, in the parables, he talks about a wise man who sowed and, and the wise virgins. And it is symbolism for us to understand spiritual truths. And they came after us, Lord, what does this thing mean? And he explained it to them. So it is a, an evangelistic tool, but also for those who are in the inner circle understood what these pictures were. So baptism is a picture. It's an object lesson. It's a symbol. It's a physical analogy of a great, profound spiritual reality. So when God is giving us baptism, it's not just for us to get wet, but he's teaching us something profound here. And what is the point? It is a way, it is the way that God wants to teach the most wonderful truth of all, the union of the believer into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the reality of salvation. That is the purpose of baptism. That is why God instituted it. So God uses symbols, analogies, ceremonies to convey spiritual truths, and baptism is one of the Lord's most treasured symbols. So when, uh, when we look quickly at history, do we find baptism in the Old Testament? So was the question I asked myself. And on Thursdays, uh, when we went through the teaching of the candidates, this was something that I was racking my brain. Do we find examples? We find shadows and types. We find that even in, in, in 1 Corinthians, when uh, Paul was saying that the Israelites were baptized into Moses when they went through the Red Sea, you find symbols, you find shadows, you find symbolism of it, but no actual baptism, nobody being actually immersed or submerged. But when looking at Jewish customs, we need to understand firstly that Israel was chosen by God yeah. as the chosen people but not to keep the gospel of salvation to themselves, but to be evangelists to the world. God wanted to provoke the world into jealousy, to say, look at those people, they are blessed so much. Why? Why? You see Rahab the prostitute who, uh, in Jericho when she says, hey, I've heard about you guys, your God is a true God. That is what was supposed to be provoked from the Gentile nations. Yeah. So Israel was supposed to be evangelists to the world, to abandon their idols and worship the true and living God. So we need to understand that if somebody wanted to become Jewish in the Old Testament, if somebody wanted to identify with this true and living God, somebody like Rahab or somebody who was adopted into the covenant, and this happened, you find examples of it in the Old Testament, there was a process or a procedure in Jewish custom, you can find that in, in Jewish history, but there were three steps in order to, for a Gentile to be converted into, uh, in, into, into a Jew. And the first one was the most painful, which is called Mila, which was circumcision. This was for them to identify with the unique sign of God's people to demonstrate the symbol and that they were identified with God's people. So you find in the Bible there's examples of this where people would marry into, into um, the Israelite family and they would, all the men would have to be circumcised. Most painful, imagine identifying with God. It's like it's a hard, it's hard pill to swallow. Yeah. But God is also teaching us something very profound in this is that if you want to look at the heart of mankind, or what mankind produces, you look, at, you look at your sexual reproduction 
the, our sexual body parts is, is something very profound that God wants to teach us here, is that what does man and woman produce? We produce more sinful people after our own image. And God is trying to teach us that in order to be cleansed from this is that there's, there's a symbol, there's a symbol in your body that the men had to do, which was to get circumcised. So that is the first point, so the first step of conversion of Gentiles. The second was called tebela, and that is immersion into water. You find this in Jewish custom. It is to demonstrate that they were dead to their old lives. It is a symbol, getting buried to their old lives and coming out to newness of life. And then the last was Corban, which is animal sacrifice. There was a sprinkling on the Gentile of blood, and that symbolized a need for forgiveness of sin provided by the death of his substitutes. So you find the gospel message even in these customs that the Jews had. So the Jews knew this context. Now fast forward to Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist comes on the scene. And he is preaching a gospel of repentance. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. There's one coming who's behold the Lamb of God who's come to take the sin of the world away. And John is preaching this to children of the covenant. Telling them to be baptized. Because he's basically telling them that they are to view themselves as Gentiles, that they are to view themselves as aliens outside of the covenant of God needing forgiveness. And you find the whole of Judea coming to him. Now understand that in order for Jew to process this, we children of Abraham, we automatically in the, in the covenant, there's no need for, for repentance, but you find repentance. He preached this message of repentance and being baptized. And many, many came and got baptized by John. And then you find Jesus then going down and saying, baptize me. He comes and says, John the Baptist, please baptize me. Now, John the Baptist knew Jesus. This was Jesus' cousin. He knew him. When he saw him in the womb, he felt him in the womb. He leaped for joy. They were related. He knew that this is the perfect, unspotted, unblemished, perfect world, child of God. Why do you have to be baptized? I should be asking you to baptize me. You are the one not in need of salvation. You are the one not in need of, uh, of, of baptism. And Jesus says in, in Matthew 3, he says, permitted to be, permitted to be, so now, thus, it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So then why did Jesus ask to be baptized? Some commentators would say that to identify with people, to set an example, but I don't think that's the case. And I think that is found in that last sentence. It says to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness, Jesus obeyed every command of God to death. He was obedient to the point of death for every command that God gave him. Everything that God said he should do, he done without complaints. Where the first Adam had failed, the second, second Adam comes and fulfills and completes the work of God. Jesus was fulfill, fulfilling every command of God. And baptism was a command of God because the, the last Old Testament prophet comes and says, repent and be baptized. Jesus fulfilled every command that God gave. It is a command from God, it is a ceremony ordained by God, and a command by the prophets of God, who was also the voice of God. Jesus was obedient even to the point of death. Jesus didn't fit the symbol of baptism, but he says, I do it because it is righteous to obey every command of God. And we do this because it is righteous to obey every command of God. If you are not baptized, get baptized. There's still room at the pool. If not, you'll get the next service. But be obedient to God because Jesus, we've got t-shirts even for you. So Jesus talks about a second baptism. I'm going to wrap up very soon. But in Luke 12, 49 to 50, Jesus says this before he was going to the cross. He's on his way to the cross. See this. He says, so I came to send fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And now and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Jesus is on his way to the cross and he's talking about a baptism. What is Jesus being baptized into? 
Jesus is talking about being fully submerged, fully baptized, fully engrossed into what? Into death, darkness, and judgment. We see he was buried under the waves of divine judgment, bearing our sin and shame. We were with him, baptized in his death, burial, and resurrection. If you look at Luke 12, Jesus has been baptized and we were with him because he bore our shame. He bore our sickness. He bore all of our, our iniquities, our transgressions, and imputed his righteousness for our righteousness. This is the baptism Jesus is talking about. He's talking about being fully immersed into the judgments of God, the wrath of God. It said it pleased God to punish his son. The wrath, the full force of God's wrath is poured upon Jesus. And this is the baptism that he's talking about. He's immersed into that death, burial, and resurrection, and we were with him. So likewise, when we are baptized, we are, we are identifying that we are buried and resurrected with him. Romans, 3, Romans 6 verse 3 says, Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? So the Bible is just reiterating this point, that we are baptized into Christ's death. We are identifying with him. We are immersed into him. We are engrossed into him. Christ is not a part-time thing. Christ is not a part-time savior. Christ is something that you live. He's someone that you live, you breathe, you, you wake up, you pray continuously. There's no separation from Christ because if we identify him in death, we will also live with him in his resurrection. And this is what the Bible is teaching us. That is not just some mere symbol, something that we just do to get wet, but it is something that we are identifying with. We are immersing into his death and we are buried with him. First Corinthians 10 verse 2 uh, talks about that they were buried into Moses. So there's a submersion into the leader in the Old Testament and there's a submersion into our true savior in the New Testament. Uh, Romans 6 verse 4 um, says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Further reiterating this process. Um, so salvation is not adding Jesus to your life. It is immersing you into Christ. We don't add Christ to our lives. We don't add him as an add-on like you go buy a new car and you add the 18-inch wheels or the sound system. You don't add him, but it's immersing you into him. He is all and everything. He is worthy of it all. From him came everything and to him all things are given. And um, so this is the immersion into Christ. Um, Colossians, just um, second to last scripture, penultimate scripture here. Colossians 2.12 says, Buried with him in baptism in which, also, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The Bible just keeps telling us the same thing, that we are buried with him. We are buried with him and therefore we will rise with him. So you are born again. Salvation is public identifying with him. And I want to leave us with this last scripture. Um, this is my favorite scripture, uh, but in Galatians 2, verse 20. If we can turn there, I just want us to read this together. And uh, as we make a confession of faith, I want us just to hold this very dear to our hearts. Can I get an amen once somebody is there? Amen. Thank you very much. Galatians 2, verse 20, not 28, sorry. It reads as follows. I have been crucified with Christ. That is each and every one of you who have been baptized or will be baptized. You are crucified with Christ. What a great privilege it is. 
It is no longer I who live. So the person we see, it is no longer you. The old man who used to love living like a sinner, who used to love the joys of sin, but now counts it all loss. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How blessed is it that the creator of heaven and earth, the ruler of glory, the one who was and is and is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the righteousness of God, the jewel of heaven, lives inside of you. Like such a profound truth. Christ who lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, so the rest of your days under the sun, that you walk this earth, all of the days that God permits you to live, whether you are a teenager, whether you are an older person, the rest of the life that God blesses you with, he goes on to say, that I live in faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Such a great love. No greater love has any man that if he lays down his life for his brothers. This is my encouragement to you. Memorize Galatians 2.20, that you are submerged into Christ to die his death and to live his resurrection. So for those who haven't been baptized, those who are going to be baptized, this is your reality. The word of God is truth. Everything else a lie. Let every man be a liar and let God be true. This is the truth of God. Whether you feel it or not, whether you feel up to it or not, this is the reality that you are submerged into Christ. You are one with him. And the Bible says that one day when he appears, we will be just like him. We'll be just like him. All of our sin and shame will pass away. Our, our sin will be thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. That we'll be just like him. We'll be heirs and co-heirs to what God has planned. No eye has seen, no ears heard. What God has prepared for those who love him. Guys, this is not, we're not playing around. This is something very serious. So if you haven't been baptized, it is a command of God. It is expected of you. If you say, I believed in God. Or if you want to accept God, there's still room at the cross. There's room at the altar for you to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Jesus loved you so much, he gave his only begotten son. He gave his best. And what we do here is we identify with that. That even to the point of death, if the Romans had to come and try and crucify us, we will say, I do not deny him. He is my life. He is my life. He is a rock on which I stand. I built my life on him. And that is something God is challenging me. I was talking to Bernice earlier and God is challenging me with this is that I'm learning to trust him more and more for everything. This world will collapse. The economies are going to crash soon. And it's not to scare anyone, but the world, everything we place our trust in, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I will put my trust in God. The chariots and horses are the economies and all of these things and our investments and our bitcoins and all of these things we have money in and we're putting our trust in. What happens when it fails you? Your hearts will fail. Your hearts will give up on you because all your investments, when your house is worth nothing, when your pension goes down to zero. We saw it in COVID. My pension went down 30%. It is a lot of money to lose. What happens when 100% is gone? Our hearts will fail us. Build your life on Christ. He is the firm foundation. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He has never changed. He is the same yesterday, today, forever. He is unchanging. God doesn't learn more, he doesn't grow more, he doesn't become more righteousness, he doesn't become more holy. He loves you with an everlasting love right now and he's calling you to salvation. So if you do not know him, get to know him. We can pray with you. I'm not going to do an altar call, but this is a personal thing with you. There's no altar calls in the book of Acts and I don't want to do it here, but there was baptism. So I'm not going to delay any further. Uh, the candidates are welcome to, to go and get changed. Uh, 